pre-COVID, I'm starting to feel that phrase will have the same significance as pre-industrial or pre-internet. Well, pre-COVID, there were technology companies that educated customers on how to use technology in a classroom, face-to-face. That was the main option. Then, face-to-face was not an option. So these companies had to quickly create digital content customers could consume virtually. But creating digital content is just one step in effectively engaging your customers digitally. I am Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. In this episode, I will be joined by Maria Manning-Chapman, one of my longtime partners in crime here at TSIA. Maria is our Distinguished VP of Education Services Research. And today, we will be discussing the difference between creating compelling digital content for customers and creating a compelling digital experience. And and there is a difference there. Now, for those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we are a for-profit research institute. We track the financial performance of the largest publicly traded technology providers on the planet. More importantly, we perform deep operational benchmarking with the technology companies that are on the TSIA platform. It is that data that informs the insights you will hear in this series. All right, so let's get into it. And Maria, welcome back. Uh, Can you remind our listeners about your current role at TSIA and what you were doing before you joined TSIA? Okay, great. Uh, Happy to be here. And uh, Thomas is correct. We have a very long history together. Uh, March of this year was 12 years, which I still cannot believe. It's it's truly flown by. LinkedIn LinkedIn reminds me every year. It pops up and it says, congratulate (laughs) me. I'm like, is another year gone by? I thought, geez, that was like last week. Yeah, Yeah, truly, it it feels that way for me as well. So that's what happens when you work with a great team of people at a great company. I agree. So, um, so yeah, so uh, when I joined 12 years ago, there was no education services practice area. So over the 12 years, we have built up that membership. So, you know, my role is like my other research uh, analyst counterparts, and I conduct uh, surveys, uh, write up the findings from those surveys. I work on a daily basis with members, um, and the way that I couch what I do when I talk with members is I always say I'm helping them with the business of education. Mm -hmm. And that can cover all aspects. That's content development, it's delivery, it's operations, it's certification. And how can we help our members run the business of education better? Uh, Prior to my time with TSIA, I was a practitioner. I was running education services organizations, uh, did that at uh, various companies such as uh, Mercury Interactive, which was bought by HP, uh, went to a small pre-IPO company and ran their education organizations. Um, going way back in the time machine, when I was at Veritas, I was managing a content development organization. So I have the advantage of hands-on experience as well as 12 years worth of data and research to apply when I you know, work with members. Which, which is great. And so you're, you're, you're part of this uh, Mercury Interactive Mafia, which we've talked about before on this uh, podcast. <laughs> Um, but you know, one thing. Yes. Yeah. One thing you said there, which I think is really important. You know, when you joined uh, 12 years ago, 
you know, that was one of the key things is, is that education services was often not thought of as a business within tech companies. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you know, sort of a financial art project, much like we see with customer success these days. People had to do it, but they didn't sort of know how to, to invest in it, scale it, monetize it when it makes sense. It doesn't always make sense to monetize yeah. it. And I think that's really been a, a re- such an important part of, of your body of work over the last decade is to really help these education service leaders think about what they're doing as, as a business. It doesn't mean that they, you know, you have to be this massive profit center, but you are running a business. You've got to have enough right. funding, you know, right. to be able to scale it, et cetera. So I think, you know, you really yep. ha- have helped the industry there, um, you know, on that, on that topic. But so l- I've got a couple questions here that were all in- inspired by, you know, a blog of yours that I read and I thought was was really good. Um, and so l- let's talk about, you know, digital content first. And, and when did you first see digital content become important to education organizations in tech and, and how would they typically deliver it? So b- before we, before I discuss that, what I want to do is define what do we mean by digital content? Okay. Uh, because what I find is people use terms and, you know, you say potato, I say potato, maybe we mean the same thing and maybe we don't. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about digital content, it takes two forms. So one is e-learning. And I think when people think of digital content, they most readily think about e-learning. And e-learning, we mean, you know, self-study where it's, you know, video-based or simulation-based or, uh, you know, something I go to a portal and I do on my own. And the term we use in education is we call it asynchronous. It means it's not tied to an instructor or to an event. I can do it anytime, 24-7. So that's one form of digital content. The other form is what we would call virtual instructor-led training because it occurs digitally. And so, but the difference is it's a live, meaning synchronous event. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn at the same time as other students with an instructor, but it is digitally enabled. So I have to have my computer. Mm-hmm. I have to, uh, the, the way the session's conducted is, is through a WebEx. That's how you know, as a student, you see the instructor and the instructor interacts with the student. And the other really critical part of that whole digital component is a virtual lab environment. Mm-hmm. So it means digitally, virtually, I can also experience the lab environment and do lab exercises as part of that live event with an instructor. So I categorize both because uh, they've grown or matured at different rates and in different ways. So let's go back in the time machine to a time when we called digital content web-based training, okay. the WBT. All right. You know, so so WBT has been around. Web-based training has been around for a long time, but what I would say is is it was very infantile, if you will. So so back, if I go in in the time machine, literally, you know, twenty. 25 years ago, my time at Veritas as an example, we had web-based training, but I mean, it was really very, what I would call quasi, meaning it was ancillary. So you still sent a student to a classroom 
or maybe on-site. You still did that face-to-face training, but you might provide some ancillary content that they could get through web-based training. So it was kind of, you know, sat on the side, if you will. It wasn't what I would call mainstream. So that's what what the the online e-learning looked like going back in time. Now, when you look at virtual instructor-led training, it, it's really been mature for 20, 25 years. Because, again, if I go back to my time at Veritas, we were doing virtual instructor-led training. But 20, now, 20, I will 20, say that 25 years ago, I mean, but what were they using? Because I think of virtual instructor-led training, like you said, I mean, you could use something today like WebEx, Zoom, et cetera, to be able to do that. How did they pull that off? Well, it, it was very similar. Uh, you know, there was whatever the platform was, and that's where I would say things have matured is the platforms okay, have okay. gotten much better. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would so think. I'd have to think back to what was the platform we used for like the WebEx, Zoom well, kind of elements. just for that, just for virtual. There work. was some yeah. platform, and then um, thanks to VMware, uh, once you could virtualize instances of software, you could then virtualize the lab environment. And so, again, that has kind of matured in terms of being able to virtualize the instances, making the access easier and easier, um, being able to do that worldwide because, you know, let's face it, 25 years ago, bandwidth issues meant very often if you were in, you know, a country the other side of the world, you were, you know, dropping from the, the live session. So it existed, and, and virtual instructor-led training over the years uh, has improved based on platform improvement. Okay. that makes sense to so, me. But it's been around for a while. And what I would say we see now, as an example, for um, web-based training, which we'll now call e-learning, which is what it is now, is I would say probably about Four to five years ago is when e-learning came into its own, meaning that whatever the class was that was in a classroom or was being offered virtually then became available online mm -hmm. where I could make a choice. Oh, I can go to a classroom. Oh, I can do it virtually. Oh, I can get the same content, self-study through e-learning online. And you say this is four or five years ago and that that... Was it? Yes. Okay. That, that, that it matured from it being kind of like that ancillary content to being what I would call more mainstream mm -hmm. in terms of here's the whole, whole course and you can get the full course. Now, the next metamorphosis over the last, let's say, you know, three years has been getting to nuggets of learning because historically what has happened with e-learning has been very monolithic. Here's this entire course. Well, maybe I don't want the entire course. Maybe I only want a module. Maybe I'm trying to find an individual task. How do we get it more granular so that someone can find the content they need and not have to consume a three-day course to get what they need? And that's where the big shift has been for online learning, is getting it down to what I call nugget-sized bite-sized pieces. So, so as I listen to you, I mean, because you're giving us, you know, this history lesson on, on what's been going on with, with you know, digital capabilities for, for, for education services, and it sounds like they've been chipping on this f for a while. 
but still with that, when, when, when COVID hits in 2020, I know from talking to you that still a lot of, you know, ES orgs were caught, you know, flat footed and had to pivot hard because there was still a lot of, I mean, give me a sense of how much of education was still being delivered in a classroom. People fly in or the instructor flies out. I mean, roughly pre-COVID, what what was that percentage, do you think, in the industry? What I can tell you is based on the revenue. Mm -hmm. So the percentage of revenue. So, So what we track in the benchmark is what percentage of your revenue comes from classroom training, virtual instructor led training, on site training, and then e-learning and uh the two heavy hitters and i mean like almost all revenues is is, so pre-covid um the percentage of revenue from uh uh, on-site training was about 38 percent so significant and then the percentage for classroom training was about 25, 28 percent. So over half so the revenue let's coming. Do the math. Yeah, over half. So that's like 60 right. some odd. And only about 15 percent of revenue was virtual. Yeah. And six to seven percent from online learning. Okay. So if you look at the revenue distribution, that will tell you, like you just said, about 75 percent was, was face to face classroom. Yep. Or on-site training. So, so this is interesting. So, so uh, again, education services chipping away at digital capabilities for many, many years, which is good. They're, they're starting to build those muscles. But still, majority of the revenue coming from face-to-face, yep. either fly an instructor out or fly students in. Then COVID hits. Tell tell us, you know, the audience a little bit. How did ES organizations do with that? How did they, how'd they navigate yeah. that? Well, let, let's put it this way. It immediately revealed the flaws. Yeah. You know, because if you did not have a smoothly running virtual environment, so so let me give you, uh, paint that picture two ways. Mm -hmm. So there are some folks who will say they have virtual instructor-led training, and all it is 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 a webinar. Mm -hmm. See, and for me, that's a webinar. A pre-recorded webinar? Like a pre-recorded or a live webinar? No, it would be live. It would be live instructor, but there would be no no virtual lab work. So it's just like, you know, like us talking now kind of thing, except it's an instructor talking to students and and you're on the communication platform, whatever it is. One-way channel. Yes. Yes. So those folks would often categorize themselves as having virtual instructor-led learning. Really. And, and for me personally, it was like, no, not really, because true virtual instructor-led training needs to include the hands-on lab work. Yep. And so that's where, that's where the flaw was revealed. So all those people who only had webinar only were like, oh, holy, you know what? Yeah. I, I, I got to spin up a, a virtual lab environment. Yep. So you can do that on your own, which obviously takes time, more time than if you go to a third party. So there's third party providers, um, companies like uh, SkyTap, ReadyTech, CloudShare, who if you go to them and say, hey, here's my lab exercises, I need you to host them, they'll, they'll spin everything up from there. So those folks needed, you know, to get that underway. Yeah, so. Quickly. So they were at least in better shape than people had no virtual anything. And so there were two camps there. I would say most of my members that were software members, Mm -hmm. because people are used to virtualizing software, they were 
okay. Most of those members did have a full virtual instructor-led platform. Um, the webinar-only people tended to be my smaller ex-as-a-service members. Oh, really? And the folks who had nothing yeah. tended to be product companies. Yeah. And by product companies, I mean like hardware. You can hardware, touch right. it. Yep. You know, so, so literally hardware providers like networking companies, computer yeah, companies, um, healthcare you know, like they had big CT scanner machines, et cetera. And, and most of the time, all of that training is instructor-led training yeah. because these folks had Hands -on huge, labs. huge centers yeah. filled with equipment yeah, where you sense. come for weeks on end <laughs> right, right, and yeah. get trained. Right, right. Well, yeah. th That's... that was a, a, a clearly a, a showstopper. Yeah. Yeah. And those were the people who were caught flat-footed. And were they, they were able? Like, oh my so, God! So, so let's just go down that rabbit trail for a minute. So, so for those poor, you know, because you think about a world where training, you know, I, I'm learning how to configure a piece of hardware. I'm learning how to fix a, you know, a broken piece of hardware. Yep. And suddenly, COVID hits, and I, you know, I, I can't fly people into the training centers. Did they virtualize that? Did they? Were they able to digitize that experience, what, or how? Yeah. I have a great example, um, and and I'll mention them by name because they applied for a Star Award, so I know their information is in the public domain, mm -hmm. um, and that was Varian, mm -hmm. and th they had nothing. They had 100%, for the sure, most part, 100% yep. is face-to-face -face training, mm -hmm. and they, they I, I got to give them credit. They were, you know, they turned it around in like four to six months mm -hmm. and that may sound like a long time but Not really that's a huge undertaking yeah. um so what they did was simulation mm -hmm. so it's kind of you can do some virtualization now if your equipment is using software then obviously that part you can virtualize into a lab but the actual gee push this button flip that switch you can do these things okay. Uh, they did that through simulation. Oh, cool. So the student doesn't get, you know, exact hands-on experience themselves, um, but they get the benefit of seeing what they should do so they have a way to, you know, absorb, okay, I do this first, I do this second, et cetera. And what they're looking at now um, is uh, virtual reality. Interesting. Now, to, so, to be able to immerse somebody in that experience yeah. without actually having the equipment. So, so COVID becomes the great accelerator for all companies, not just you know software companies, yeah. all companies to figure out how they can deliver their their education effectively, doing it in a virtual digital way. Do you think now that you know as we come back to more normality here, do you think companies like these hardware companies are they will they go right back? Do you think to 100%? We're going to do it in person because it's easier, or do you think that there'll be more of a mix. What are, what are you seeing with your members? How are they thinking about this? I think this? they'll be, I think they'll be a mix. Um, I mean, I think we see it just at large. Yep. You know, like look at companies who used to require all employees to come into the office. So you're gonna say you know, most of them are hybrid now. Yeah. So hybrid. You know, I, I really think now. What I think, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, when you have a hypothesis, is this going to happen or not? What I think is this. I think the individual going to a classroom, I don't think the classroom is dead, mm -hmm. but I do think that will not come back to pre-COVID times mm -hmm. because on an individual basis, why not do it virtually? Right. 
you don't have to travel, right. you don't miss time, etc. Now, where I personally am predicting that it may not get back completely to pre-COVID, but I do think it'll go back up, is on-site training. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that is because it's, it's pent-up demand. You know, people are craving wanting to be back together again. Mm-hmm. So I think something like on-site training is a great way for a company who people haven't seen each other for two, two and a half years now, yep. to bring people together for a work-related event, get them trained, do some uh, team building, yep. you, know, com- you know, department strategizing, those kinds of things. And I think when things fully open up again from COVID, that, that, that we will see some pent-up demand for on-site training. But virtual absolutely is not going away. Well, you know, I think it, uh, talking to a lot of different companies are trying to navigate this hybrid model in general, right? I think what companies are realizing is they do want to still bring companies, or I'm sorry, employees back together, right, for, for reasons. Yep. And if you think about it, education right is is a perfect reason to bring people back together right. so you may be a completely virtual yeah. workforce or mostly virtual and you say hey we're going to do a special event for the next few days everybody come in we're going to get training on this and like you said hey we get to see each other we get to you know all that kind of stuff so so yep. i never thought about this but you know education services ends up playing you know a different and yet critical role in these hybrid or, or virtual work environments yep. where you're, you know, the education is the reason we're coming together, you know, that we do in a way yep. that we, you know, don't do every day. So, sorry, right, I, I want to go back to this blog though that you wrote about, you know, digital, you know, content versus digital experience because, and again, just yep. playing back everything you just said, you know, all, all these tech companies had to figure out, you know, how to, you know, deliver their content, you know, you know, digitally, and, and they had to get much better at that, whether they were a hardware company or, or who, whoever. Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's a difference between having digital content now versus creating, a, you yeah. know, a compelling digital customer experience. So, so let's start by, you know, what's your definition of a digital customer experience? So it, it's really the sum total of all all interactions with a company that occur digitally okay. and content is only one piece of that. Mm-hmm. So, so when you look at the larger picture, well, a learner needs to go to the website. They need to find the education organization from that company's website. They then need to figure out how to access the learning portal. They then need to find the content they want or need in that portal. They have to register. Mm -hmm. They have to purchase. And all those things happen digitally. So when you look at the digital experience, it's it's all of those things. Because I can have a great experience with the content, but maybe I hated the registration process. Got it. You know, or there was some other digital interaction that really detracted from my overall experience with the education organization. Great. That, so, yeah. so it's that totality yep. of experience that um, what I would say in my observations is, is folks think because they have the content and they're digital that they're good. And, and I am encouraging folks to take it to that next step and say, okay, let's really assess the overall digital interactions that we have with our, 
our students. We, you know, in this book that uh, we have coming up uh, or coming out, as you as you know here in May, it's called Digital yeah. Hesitation. And in the in the book, we write this phrase that complexity kills. And and you know, as you're talking about the importance of creating you know a, a more frictionless experience for the customers, right? As as yep. they as they you know uh, you know come in. Um, so, you know, so talk about ways that, that companies can reduce friction there when they're creating a more compelling okay. digital experience. What was some things you're seeing there? So, yeah. So, so let me just preface that with, with this, because uh, this is, again, a conversation I have at least weekly, if not daily with members. I always say to people, you know, your charter is to drive product adoption. So we're working from the premise that a, a, a trained person is going to use the product more, use the product better than somebody who isn't. But the, the preface to that is you cannot drive product adoption if you cannot get training into the hands of your customers. So if I have a poor registration experience and I make the decision not to register, well then right there, I'm prohibiting my objective of driving product adoption because I have not gotten training into the hands of my customers. So that's why it's about being frictionless. And so I'll share with you an example that for me is just always at the top of my list. Uh, so I guess it was about six months ago, I decided to just randomly go to many different members' websites as a consumer. And I went with the purpose of, okay, I don't know anything about this website. First, can I find the training webpage, which is harder than you think sometimes. Um, so how easy is that? Not, not always very easy. Once I'm in the education portal, you know, okay, what I did was I just hunt and pecked around and selected a class. And in this particular website, I randomly chose whatever the class was. And at the top right, there's a shopping cart. So, so that's good. It looks like they have e-commerce. So, you know, it says if you want this course, put it in your shopping cart, you know, and then you get the option like you do if you're a consumer, you know, do you want to continue shopping? Yes, I'll continue shopping. And then, you know, at the bottom, you know, of, of the page, it's, you know, ready for checkout. So, okay, I looked around some more. I had the one class I wanted in my cart. Now, I wasn't really going to purchase yeah. it, but I wanted to go the through the process yeah. to just see. Yeah. And so I click on, um, you know, make this purchase now or whatever the, the wording was. And I get this pop-up that says, you cannot purchase this course with a credit card. Please contact the education organization for more information. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Seriously? Why did you have me put this in the shopping cart? Right. Right. If in fact, I cannot buy it with a credit card. Right. So that is friction. Yeah. And then the bigger piece of friction for me was this. It said to contact the education organization. They provided no, no contact no email, information. No, no phone number, no, no email, no nothing. Wow. So now they're putting the burden on me. And I can tell you right now, if I had truly been wanting to buy that course, I would not have bought it. Yeah. Because I am not going to hunt around for your information to buy a course that I should have been able to buy with a credit card that I couldn't. I'm done. 
I'm done. So that's friction. Yeah. Well, you know, and and it's about move removing those kinds of roadblocks uh, and making that process as streamlined and as simple and as easy as possible. Well, er- earlier today, I was on a call with uh, an expert in customer experience. So I think we're going to have do a keynote in, in Vegas. Um, and so I was just, you know, he, he wrote a book and I was just sort of explained to him who our audience was and B2B, et cetera. And, um, and I said, look, you know, we have a thesis at, at TSIA that B2B companies suck at customer experience <laughs> yes. that compared to B2C, right? And that we, yeah, absolutely. And we believe that, that enterprise B2B companies have got to get on the same train that these B2C companies are, yes. that that's where it's going. And so, you know, your experience, I mean, would that ever happen to you if you were shopping on amazon.com to buy something? Never. Not in a million, no. not a million years. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it's funny you should mention that, Thomas, because that is exactly what I say to my members. Yeah. Think about your experience as a consumer. Don't think of yourself as an education services person. Just think about what you like or you don't like when you go to a website to make a purchase. And whatever it is you don't like is probably going to hold true for when somebody's trying to buy training from you. They're not going to like that either. Let me tell you about another pet peeve I have. (laughs) Okay. This is the one that kills me too. It's like, oh my God, is when you go to the website, and I saw this more often than I would care to think, go to the website and there's just this like, you know, listing of courses. I mean, just like hodgepodge, no rhyme or reason. Here's all these courses. Well, first of all, I I don't know what I want. Where do I start? What what do I need? Et cetera. So that's one problem. But this this is the thing that I, again, it just makes me crazy as a consumer. It asks me, I can't register for anything. I can't talk to anybody. I can't do anything. I have to fill out a form. Mm -hmm. And when I fill out the form, then somebody will contact me. Your email will call you, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, that is crazy. And and when I talk with members, it's exactly what I bring up, Thomas, is think about this. If you went to Amazon.com, before you could make any purchase on Amazon.com, they asked you to fill out some form. And then somebody at Amazon is going to get back to you before you can make the purchase. Yeah, yeah. Would you would you buy from that website? Absolutely not. Yeah, it's it just makes no sense it to me. It doesn't. And, and I'm gonna um, put some attributes on the table here from your blog that you've covered. You know, in terms of of creating this more compelling digital customer experience. One of them you you covered was findability, just being able to find you know things easy, and also you know, I think presenting it in a, in a way that okay, this is what I should you know be buying now or, or focusing on. You covered purchasability, which is making it easy for them to click and buy. That's you know that's an attribute that, that you um, you write about. Um, but it, but there's another attribute you had in the blog about communicability. What, what is what is that? Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a made-up word. Uh, okay, well, I don't know that that word even well, it's, exists. It's, it's hard for me even to say it. As <laughs> but I, as I made I, it up. I read it from your blog, but anyway, it's a, so you did a good yeah. job. So tell me, don't make me say that word again. But tell me, what what the heck is it? Since you made it up, I guess you get to define it. What what do you mean by that? So, well, some of it was in the example that I gave with the hard to purchase example, which was. Um, being able to communicate with the education organization. So, so what that means is this, and, and actually some of this I got from our, our own Val Golovsky, yep. hoping I'm 
saying his last name right, I'm not too good with his last name, um, who's our uh, uh, research uh, analyst for support services. And so I went to, to Val and I said, okay, talk to me about what you see in support around ways for people to communicate with support and what do you consider best practices. Um, so, so in that conversation, he talked about multi-channel communication with multi-channel communication, meaning that there's more than two ways for someone to communicate with you. And the term he used that I love is that you, you meet the customer where they are. So, so you might be working with somebody who, you know, a student who, who wants to pick up the phone and talk to you, mm-hmm. you know, then, then there's the generation who doesn't want to talk to anybody. They just want to do it all online and, and, you know, through a you, chat you're or describing some other my son and daughter, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're going to be texting you from the room next exactly, door, right, right Thomas, right. instead of coming over and, yeah. you know, talking to you. So, so exactly. So, so, so like, um, I'll give an example of a member that has great communicability and that's SAP. So when I went to their website and I looked, uh, on almost every page, there's a contact us button, you know, somewhere on the page, upper right usually, but somewhere on the page. And when you clicked on that, they provided you four ways to communicate with them. The first thing that popped up was an 800 number for you know, all US customers, and then there was a laundry list of listings for um, you know, other countries. So that was the first way. The second was you could send an email. So you know, just regular old, hey, I have a problem, I need help. The third one was what I think about is is I'm surmising that it's similar to this. You know when you 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 call for an like a, an airline and they have a two hour wait, but they say that they'll call you back. You, you know, their, leave their your yeah. contact and they'll call you back. Mm-hmm. So they have some kind of functionality like that where you can leave that information. Somebody's going to call you back, and then they have um, a, a chat bot. And, and that's the fourth option is the chat bot. And from the chat bot, you really get a fifth option because I, I went through this whole process and I will say the artificial intelligence on their chat bot is great. Yeah. And I went through a whole segment and got pretty far. And, and all along the way, it's asking me if I want to, to move to live chat. Yeah. So, so that in fact is a fifth option yeah. is live chat. So wait, wait, wait. if there I'm was stuck, no, There was no fax option? <laughs> there, there, there might have been. Okay, I might have okay. missed it. <laughs> I just I just want to make sure. I just see if they're covering all the bases. No, that's still pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they pretty much did cover all the bases, and so you know, so that's the ultimate. Yeah. Because if I'm stuck, again, I don't want to have to hunt around for how I get somebody to help right. me. That's right. And th- they they were right there, and that to me is frictionless. Yeah. Is is it's it's there, it's it's accessible. I'm going to get somebody to talk to if I want to talk. I'm going to get somebody to chat with if I want to chat, etc. So so you know I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to read your 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 blog on you know creating this compelling uh, digital 
experience, right? Not just the content piece of it and, and nailing that, but thinking through all these other attributes that you've been talking about. And and I'm going to give you my, my last question here for, for, for our session is, you know, wh what is the call to action that you give to tech companies related to creating a compelling digital experience, right? Where, where do you tell them, hey, this is what you need to focus on or where you need to start? Well, what I, what I tell them to do is what I did. Go to your website as a consumer and see what the experience is like yeah. and then rate it. So there was something I read, um, I don't know, it was like six months ago and, and I loved it. It, it. it was a way to evaluate how frictionless something is. And it's C, S-E-E. -E. So success, effort, and emotion. So when I went through and did these these evaluations of random websites, I used that kind of as my my mm -hmm. structure to assess. Yeah. So the S is for success. Were you able to successfully complete the task? Whatever it yeah. is you went to the website to or do. the portal yeah. for. So yes or no. Effort. You know, what was the degree of effort? Was it like, you know, a root canal and it's right. a 10? It was pretty painful. Or was it one? It was, you know, like when I ordered dessert at my favorite restaurant. I loved it. You know, what, what is that level of effort? And obviously, less effort, better. And then the third one is emotion. You know, and, and, and I know there's a lot of work being done now about sentiment and customer yeah. sentiment and how people feel about mm -hmm. you. Well, that's what this is asking. You know, how did you feel about this whole experience? Are you leading, leading that experience feeling mostly positive or mostly negative? And so what I encourage folks to do is go to your own website, go to your portal, go through it as if you you know nothing about it and you're a student who wants to consume content and objectively rate yourself because the minute you can identify friction, yep. then your job is to remove yep. it. And, and you know, that removal probably isn't going to happen overnight, but, but you have to start. And that's, and that's where you start is let's identify the friction. Let's use this very simple model, success, effort, emotion. How would I rate my registration experience? How would I rate the e-commerce experience? How would I rate the findability experience, et cetera? And then say, okay, here's the friction. Let's start, you know, knocking down that list of friction items. And, you know, like all things, new things will pop up. So it's an ongoing, you know, cycle. Um, but but you cannot stop at the content because if if I cannot get to that content, then I don't care how good your digital content yep. is. If if my experience at the front end prevents me from getting there, that that's a showstopper. Yeah, I think I think that's really solid and practical advice for companies on where to start the journey. You know, and 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 I bet there's a high percentage of companies that have never done what you just described. No. which is go use their own website. I, I told you I was talking to this customer experience expert earlier and he's, you know, he had done some work around B2B corporate, you know, websites. And he said that they're all the same template, right? They all basically say we have yes. products, we have our services. Here's about the company. Yes. Here's, and he, he said yep. th there's really no thinking 
about what they're trying to achieve with, with their customers when they show up on that on that website. It's pretty stunning. Yep. And, and I spend a lot of time on websites when I'm trying to understand how companies are positioning their capabilities, et cetera. And that really resonates with me. He's, he's, he's absolutely right. And so, again, I think that's great. Yeah. That is great advice, and so I'm gonna l- let you go here. I, you know, I'm so glad you came back to visit, and I want you to keep writing these awesome <laughs> blog articles because I think they're really insightful. Um, and you know, for this podcast, Maria, I always like to end with the big question of the day. So I, I am sure your company is creating more and more digital content for customers to consume, but who is responsible for designing and monitoring the compelling digital experience? Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.